0: There's no place to escape to. This is the last oh, On the left. <laughs> on your blade. That's when the
1: cannibalism
2: started. What was that? Oh, yes! You
1: know nothing, John Smooth. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what I was told to look at to understand a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> You're supposed- you know nothing, John No, But I just remember her nude body from Game of Thrones, so I don't remember really anything else from that scene, but I remember, you know nothing, Jon Snow.
3: How is that supposed to sound like the accent? You
1: know
4: nothing, Ban
1: Kiesel.
3: Well, Simba. well the
4: the character had a Yorkshire accent in the show. No kidding. And there are people coming up to me all the time. He's
1: like, Oh, you far for me. You far for me, you can't figure it out a Yorkshire <laughs> accent, you can't figure it out, yeah, because I'll be chuffed to bits. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be out also, I will figure out your chuffed. I can be chuffed to bits. Oh man. And I, and I I'm just alienating everyone. I know it's a small part of England. To alienate. Sure. But just fucking, you all are saying, because how many messages I got, PMing like, it's easy. It's easy to do Yorkshire accent. And I was like, no, it's not. Obviously not. Because I can't fucking do it. No, it's three accents all mushed together.
3: Well, either way, we love them. Welcome to the last <laughs> podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben, looking at Marcus. And of course, we have wonderful Henry Zabrowski over there in sunny Los Angeles.
2: Don't
1: you wish I had talent? Yes, of <laughs> don't course. You, wish that, you don't think that I don't wish that I had talent? That I could sit in and, and Daniel Day Lewis' thing and piece the accent together because I watched all the tapes and, and made mm-hmm. all the sounds. Chooft. <laughs> Soom. <laughs> leu, Right. Like. <laughs> no, not like, is that that wasn't a narrative? <laughs> no. Chooft. is in there. Yeah. You know, I
3: actually, it's kind of interesting that I don't want to put Marcus and I on blast here, but. It's kind of nice that you've sort of not had so much success because then we (laughs) got you and then now you have to stay with us.
4: Yeah, we got you right as like your head was bobbing just above water and we reached up and... Hold you back down. Hold you back down with all the other fishes. <laughs>
1: Water's fine. I love being out here. Me, man, it's like hanging out with Ariel. She is sick of me. She's not going anywhere near me.
3: Right. Love my little
1: Caribbean fra- crab friend because he
3: goes and he picks all the little bits of shit out of my butt hairs. Honestly, dude, I would hang out. I would I would hang out with what's the name of the, uh, Ursula? Ursula. Oh yeah. Because yeah Ursula, I bet. I when, bet you would. When, when, honestly, I bet y'all fuck. Dude, I don't even care. Whatever she wants to do, Ursula. If she is your friend, how much fun is that? A lot. How much fun is that?
4: I would much rather be my friend than my enemy.
3: Absolutely. Me and her, Naomi Campbell. Yeah. (laughs) You don't want to get on her bad side. Absolutely not. All right. Well, we are on to part two of it's Yorkshire. I know that. (laughs) I got that right. We are talking the Yorkshire
4: Ripper. So when we last left Peter Sutcliffe, he was nearly halfway through a 13 murder killing spree. He just murdered his first victim who wasn't in the sex work business on June 26, 1977, which brought the attention of the entire UK to West Yorkshire.
3: I mean, honestly, to be fair, he's not. He can't be halfway through a 13 person serial killing <laughs> because you can't kill 0.5 of a person. Yeah, Hello? Att- it's called attempted murder.
2: Oh!
3: <laughs> never mind.
1: I don't know. I think a half a person technically counts as like the towel boy for a a xfl team
4: (laughs) (laughs) now as we said on the last episode the investigation into the yorkshire ripper murders was a disaster from beginning to end but this was not a case of incompetence by way of indifference as it often is when sex workers are involved rather the yorkshire ripper investigation failed because they tried to do Too much. Oh. That's my whole thing. Oh, really? I I care too much. I try too hard.
1: I work too hard. Interesting.
4: (laughs) And of course, they also had some very distinct disadvantages when it came to solving these murders. First of all, solving a serial killing is by far the hardest murder a homicide detective can catch. Because as we know, most murders are committed by someone with a tangible connection to the victim. Mm -hmm. And you
1: have to get the police department to believe and... And a set a set of parameters saying yes, we have decided it is a serial killing. Yeah. It's hard right. to figure out that it's a serial killing that there's that there, there's not multiple people, and also it sends the public into a bit of what you'd call wholesale mania, right? <laughs> Total yeah. panic when you say that there is a serial killer on the loose, and you have to be very careful with your messaging.
4: Yeah. I guess, I suppose. Second the murder of a sex worker is even more difficult to solve because clients who might have been witnesses to who their chosen partner might have gone with next, they don't come forward out of fear that their illicit dalliances might be made public. Yeah, that's the massive problem. That's why we
3: got to do what?
4: Legalize, legalize it. Legalize, legalize it. it. That's why I think we
1: should replace... Uh, this may be a good thing though, for a, new, a bump for the USPS. What we do is you can get... It's a, Yeah, it's a mailbox, but also... It's a glory hole. And you get some of our more willing postal service people Uh to go inside that glory hole and just accept whatever comes in. Sure.
3: The number one drug dealers in the country, the United States Postal Service. Thank you for your service. They are. And
4: in addition to all that, whether it be in the UK or America... There is very rarely pressure from the public to solve the murder of a sex worker, so they tend to fall pretty low on the priorities list, and very rarely get the resources necessary to solve
3: their murders. Yeah, it's because everyone in power is just like, oh, "Wendy went missing. I, I don't even know her. I don't. I don't know her." Meanwhile, like
1: wendy has been fucking just sitting on his ass with the fucking spoon (laughs) up his hole and he's just going like oh yeah the nuclear weapons codes are four seven
3: eleven thirteen
4: you know like he just spilling his guts but in the case of the yorkshire ripper that all changed with jane mcdonald after her murder the head of the cid in west yorkshire a man named george oldfield took lead on the case and supervised the entire kerfuffle for the next few years. Now, George Oldfield was not some doddering old police detective bungling his way through the investigation. Just a year before being assigned to the Yorkshire Ripper case, Oldfield had solved an IRA bus bombing that had killed 12 people on a motorway. Damn. This was when shit was serious. Yeah, man. In the UK. But when it came to solving a serial murder case... Oldfield was totally and completely out of his depth. See, Oldfield had a bit of a drinking problem, as well as a temper. And that was in addition to a strange addiction to cough syrup. So he was Lloyd Bridges from Airplane?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so he's robo-tripping, getting hammered. (laughs) I could see him stumbling upon a solution to this crime. (laughs) I feel of all the drugs that you
1: could be addicted to as a cop, cough syrup it's got to be the one that makes your job the hardest. Yeah. Because cocaine yeah. can really zoot it up, right? Sure. If you look at, watch the, rewatch the movie, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, right? Nick Cage, incredible in it. But you can Love see, it. yeah, you're kind of tired from drinking all night. You need a little bump to get into the homicide in Michigan. Totally get it. I think that's actually kind of cool. I think it's actually very smart. Especially if you've been drinking all night. Sure. But, if you're taking cough syrup, You're seeing a lot of trails. Yeah. And that's very difficult for evidence. So I feel like then you're
3: seeing multiple things. Henry, what's so interesting is you just proved yourself wrong. What do cops need to find a serial killer? You need a trail. So you see, you can just start following everyone that you see a trail with. Mm -hmm. I mean, next thing you know, you're just screaming at a nurse. But (laughs) it could be a serial killer as well. The Time dilation
1: from Outer Worlds. But it's in a fucking bottle, dude. That's fucking fun as hell, honestly. I'm I'm with Kissel now, actually.
4: (laughs) Well, the thing is about this case is that it needed someone clear-headed and laser-focused. Oh, you needed a good detective. Yeah. <laughs> oh. well you needed someone to oversee this whole thing it was a gigantic undertaking and the metastasizing scope of the investigation was far beyond george oldfield's abilities
1: watching four like it's like four nans that whose jobs are normally they're boiling sheets and they're stripping fish but now they're inside of a police station with piles of physical piles of fi- piles of files mm. just all over the place there's no computers everything's written with a fucking quill and it's all <laughs> right. just it's all put everywhere and no one seems to be chuffed about the job of organizing the information
3: but you ever meet one of those hoarders who will be like oh yeah I remember that uh, piece of paper from 1974 and they shuffle through everything and they pull it out mm-hmm. and maybe it was like that nope. no no
1: Nan was not doing that. No, No, not. Nan was remembering the Blitz. That's all she talked about is like, oh, you remember the Blitz? And you're like, no, Nan. Fucking, where is my fingerprint? Shit, where's all my fingerprints?
4: (laughs) (laughs) So by the time Peter Sutcliffe decided to attack again in the summer of 1977, the police were nowhere near catching him, although they would come infuriatingly close almost a dozen times Hmm. over the next few years. What was even more maddening was the fact that Peter Sutcliffe kept leaving potential murder victims alive, and yet this still did almost nothing to help investigators, even when one of those survivors finally got a good look at her would-be killer's face. On July 9, 1977, Peter picked up sex worker Maureen Long at 2 a.m. They drove to a vacant lot, and Peter struck her in the head with a claw hammer while she crouched to urinate. That should be serial killer law. You should never be able to kill somebody while they're going to the bathroom. That's right. P-Zone is safe zone. (laughs) He then ripped her dress and stabbed her in the stomach, chest, and back over and over again, using the same knife he'd used in the murder of Jane McDonald. Sure, she was dead. Peter then drove off, but Maureen Long
3: survived. She's like the knight from that, uh, from, oh my god, what is the knight? Monty Python. Monty Python. Yeah.
4: Oh,
1: does that what it reminds you of? Is that what it does? <laughs> oh, it is but a flesh wound? Good lord.
4: <laughs> now, when Maureen did a photo fit on her attacker, she got most of Peter's stronger features correct, like what his eyes looked like, his fucking weird facial hair, and the general shape of his face. But in the details, she couldn't have been more wrong, which again made things difficult for the cops. She said that her attacker was in his late 30s and over six feet tall with curly blonde hair driving a white Ford Cortina. Okay. And she thought she saw Johnny Winter. <laughs>
3: Ooh. But it is extremely difficult to judge the age of someone.
4: It is very difficult, yeah. yeah. And, of course, she'd also been blattered in the head with a fucking hammer. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's amazing she remembered as much as she did. But Peter Sutcliffe was in his early 30s. He was about Henry's height, just a tiny bit taller. Than 5'5". Five, five. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, a good, <laughs> he was, normal...
4: He was 5'7". 5'7". Se- five, seven. Five, seven. Which but, is still below average. I don't care, I know that, but it's normal
1: <laughs> in its way. <laughs>
4: it is normal. And Peter Sutcliffe had wiry jet black hair. Remember, it looked like a big fucking hedge sitting on a head. Now, he did drive a white Ford, but it was a Corsair. Not a Cortina.
3: Oh, my God. Who cares about <laughs> these details? It's very important when you're looking for the killer. They've got to be right. I know, but she was so close. She was very on close. On so much. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but close only counts in fucking horseshoes
3: and assholes. Man. These <laughs> grenades, hand grenades. But she's taking oh. a squat to piss. So she's looking up. She can't tell if he's five seven or seven feet tall. No, she had
4: gotten there, but she had gone to the location with
3: him. She wasn't peeing the I whole time. Also, no.
4: <laughs>
1: I don't no. assume somebody's
4: taller just because I'm laying on the ground. <laughs>
1: well, but it's can't harder be like, he, to he tell was seven feet tall, and it's because I'm laying down and, and like I'm like I'm in a ditch.
3: If you asked Wendy how tall you are, she would just say. Empire State Building. <laughs> yes. Yes. I am the biggest thing she's ever seen. I'm the biggest man she knows.
4: Well, this is, as soon as George Oldfield announced that she saw a white Cortina at the press conference, it didn't matter anyway, because Sutcliffe stripped his white Corsair for parts, and he bought a red one. He switched it out. George Oldfield should not have said, we're looking for a guy in a fucking white Cortina.
3: Uh, he pulled the old Diane Feinstein with Ramirez's shoes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Maureen
4: was so unsure of Peter's overall appearance that she didn't even recognize him when they ran into each other at a local shopping center years later. Oh my god. He weird. recognized her, but she looked looked him straight in the face. He said she had like a flicker of uh, like a, a flicker of a moment of like, I think I know that guy, and then it was go it was over. He was gone. Wow. Can you imagine that having met now
1: the guy that is obviously he is a serial killer and now you see him? Looking at eggs, and he's over there. You know, you know he's got. You see the hair. You yeah. see the hair, and you see the face. And he's just like, "Oh, don't look like eggs, because they ain't <laughs> chickens yet." And you have to <laughs> deal with this fact. and We like, do you change grocery stores? I just think you know have back? to.
3: You could also see him bringing a tiny spoon to the egg aisle and just cracking the little eggs <laughs> on the
2: head. Don't <laughs> 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 hey, like hey,
4: hey, I don't hey, like hey, hey, <laughs> his face. But again, the failure to capture the Yorkshire Ripper was not for a lack of trying. By the time of Maureen's assault, this is about five or six murders and three or four assaults in, there were 300 officers working on this. They'd worked 343,000 hours collectively. And when they released the information about the tall blonde man with curly hair, they'd gotten 117 tips. And they had to follow up on every single one of those tips. That
1: must have destroyed the UK hairspray fucking sales for the year.
4: And not everybody, all these
1: blonde guys not being able, all these blonde guys not being able to tease it up. Because that's how (laughs) you get women to come. They have to see above the other men's hairs.
3: Absolutely. And you know there was a, bunch of kids who were bullied by the lacrosse playing by the by the beautiful lacrosse players of their high school and they're just like yes i knew they were all murderers (laughs) (laughs) the problem was
4: the description of a tall blonde with curly hair Mm -hmm. was all wrong And again and again, the West Yorkshire police would search for the Ripper using false assumptions and half-truths, and would therefore follow the wrong trails again and again for
3: entirely too long. Okay, so this is one of those, this is very interesting. Yeah. Because we talk about how cops haven't taken sex workers' words seriously. In this case, they did, but she was so traumatized and probably has brain problems, damage, that they did, but it didn't work out. It didn't work out. So I guess... To sympathize a little bit with how difficult it is to be a police officer or a detective, oh. you get a lot of information. Yeah.
1: They had a lot of information. And so, they, and they were obviously, especially because after the last murder, everyone went into a, a massive panic. Because now you're seeing that because everyone for a while was kind of lulled into this sort of complacency of like they're only attacking sex workers. It's not going to spill over to the rest of society. Right. And you see an an innocent, beautiful young woman is murdered as it happens again and again. And now everybody cares. Now that someone from their side of the railroad tracks has been murdered, now they're now they're invested. And so there's all these people throwing shit into the pot and they are desperate to solve this crime so yep. they are running up every flag that they get to see w- what s- sticks i'm mixing a lot of metaphors um, <laughs> and it turns out none of the flags were super sticky
3: <laughs> <laughs> i all i know is so they're not coming on the flags is that what you're no, saying
4: no comes on these flags okay <laughs> well, meanwhile peter and sonia had moved out of sonia's parents house and bought a home of their own at number six garden lane in bradford okay and peter celebrated this milestone by Uh, traveling to manchester's red light district to commit a murder
3: you gotta have your neighbors over you got new neighbors (laughs) barbecue yeah get some cake man get a keg come on at about 9 p.m on
4: october 1st their first night in the new house Peter picked up a girl named Jean Jordan, and they agreed upon a fee of five pounds for a sexual encounter, which Peter paid for with a crisp five-pound note from his latest pay packet. The two then drove to a spot just beyond Southern Cemetery in Chorlton and park the car. Mm, love Chorlton. You'll have. I'm a big fan of Chorlton. I love
1: Chorlton. I love their Glorsk. When you go down to Chorlton, make sure you get their cold stew that's filled with old clams. Their Gorsk is some of the best Gorsk I've had outside of Glimp. Yeah, Chorlton's incredible. What a
3: great place. Have you seen the Sludge Factory? Oh, I love that. And I've been a fan of the Chorlton Glumpers for a long time. Just one of the better squash teams of all time. I
1: love a game of shit ball more than anybody else and the glumps are just the t- the creme of the cramps. Yeah.
3: Oh, Tony forgot his shit ball again. Oh, I'll make another one. Uh, uh, I'm sorry I got to pop it. I got to fucking pop it like I make him a puke but I'm a fucking the Peter
4: had gotten rid of his old claw hammer after Maureen Long had survived, just in case the cops came calling. But when he moved into his new house at Garden Lane, he found that the previous occupant had left behind a ball peen hammer. This is
3: not a sign.
4: (laughs) And it was this implement that Peter Sutcliffe was carrying that night. (sighs) Once they got out of the car, Peter pointed to a greenhouse 30 yards away and said they could go there to complete their transaction, claiming the abandoned building full of broken glass belonged to his uncle.
1: Absolutely, and there's a, there's no place better to go and have sex with a sex worker than in a building made out of windows. <laughs>
4: yeah, what
3: is going on here?
4: When Gene Jordan began climbing a fence to get to the greenhouse, though, Sutcliffe swung the hammer and hit her again and again in the head. But before he could get to his now standard mutilation, Peter saw headlights coming towards him. So he dragged the body into the nearby bushes and fled. But as he drove away, he remembered that he'd given Gene a crisp new five-pound note from his wage packet, which could possibly be traced back to him personally. And he knew at this point Gene Jordan was absolutely dead.
3: So was there just another John driving by the broken glass factory to have <laughs> sex with a sex
2: worker that night?
3: Quite Possibly maybe who knows
2: Jeez.
3: but at that point
4: it was too late for Peter to go back because he thought that maybe those people who were driving by had spotted the body or at the very least someone would have started looking for the missing girl but no one would report Jean Jordan missing they figured she'd just gone back to Scotland for a little while they called her uh, Scotch Jean What's her nickname? And she would just go between York, West Yorkshire and Scotland mm. back and forth. So they just figured, yep, she's taken off again. So nobody reported her missing at all.
1: Hmm. I wonder if she's as generous as Scotch Henry as when around 11.45 p.m. when Scotch Henry emerges <laughs> from the couch and begins to online shop. <laughs> Somebody bought a jumpsuit last night. You got one? I bought a jumpsuit last night, not a velour jumpsuit, I'm talking a full, like, I'm going to have to take it off completely to shit, jumpsuit, (laughs) because old Scotch Henry, he had a sparkle in his eye for something new, something fashion-forward.
3: Does it have footies
1: on it? No, I'm not. I'm not a special needs janitor. It's a a cool hipster, this thing, we'll see, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, I'm going to look like a fucking Oompa Loompa who's a plumber.
4: (laughs) Now, while you might think Peter would be pleased that no one had discovered the body, you'd be wrong. See, for Peter, seeing the murder reported in the paper and knowing others would have had to deal with the aftermath of his cruelty was all a part of the game. Mm. It didn't even really matter if it was attached to the Yorkshire Ripper. All that mattered is that people saw it, people found it, people got freaked out.
1: That, this is where the holes in Peter Sutcliffe's own vision of his crimes come in. In the book Wicked Beyond Belief, Peter Sutcliffe does very detailed statements about his crimes and the way he does it. But he does it kind of in an offhanded, what he views, and I think, you know, because we talked about last episode how he thinks he's the fucking guy, right? He thinks right. he's the coolest fucking knife slinging serial killer in the world. And so when he, with his victims, he does it real like, because it comes off as, he just straight up, they just make me mad that 's why I do it, and and then i don 't think about it ever again. I just fucking kill him and then it 's over. But you start seeing like no, especially with this crime in particular, he has a very detailed fantasy life within his own brain, and he loves seeing the panic caused by his crimes and so what he this is w- what marcus said this is just an extension him seeing all of the the hullabaloo i'm going to use the word hullabaloo okay about all right. his crimes is a part of it's i mean i'm certain that he at least jerked off a couple of times thinking about it yeah
4: i'm sure well when days went by and
3: dr- gene <laughs> why well, would think so <laughs> yeah of course of i'm course. sure that's what they do. I mean it, have we covered have we ever covered a serial killer that hasn't read their own press? Um, is there any serial killer out there that doesn't like Richard this? Chase? Yeah, Richard Chase. But Richard, Richard Chase, Chase couldn't read. <laughs> Richard Chase couldn't see anything other than colors.
4: <laughs> well, Richard Chase is the anomaly uh, in uh, every fucking category. And if you want to read more about Richard Chase, you can read a chapter about him in last book on the left. Yep. Now two weeks. On the New York Times bestseller list.
3: New York (laughs) Times bestseller list. Amazing.
4: Well, when days went by and the Gene Jordan murder was still undiscovered, Peter returned to the body. It had been the night of Peter and Sonia's housewarming party for number six Garden Lane. And that night had been a typical battle of wills between Sonia and the other Sutcliffs.
1: Is this the party where they had people over? And apparently Sonia... Uh, Sonya's an interesting woman, right? She's a unique woman. And one of her favorite things in the world, one of the ways that she expressed herself was pottery. Yeah. And what she did, um, we're going to call it alternative pottery. (laughs) (laughs) She just made it all look like fucking gnocchi with pussies in them. Right? Just cylinders. She just made a bunch of Whoville fucking vases <laughs> in their home and peter sutcliffe now which is a f- weird moment in his side life where he's inviting people in the home sony's inside and he's like "Listen, what i like you guys do it's just like don't make fun of her for the pottery because and they're like we going to it hey, sure man, we want to do we we'll be super chuffed about it you and me we could be talking about a pottery and they walk in the house because it literally just looks like tim burton if Tim Burton got hit in the head by a piece of an airplane and Art directed their home, that so that's where the tension
4: came the from. The tension was because she was a bad a potterist? Well, it was not just... The, I mean, it was like the... It was the little domestic things where she had made potatoes for everyone and the Sutcliffs apparently fucking potatoes. love potatoes. Oh, but she didn't ma- So she didn't make enough potatoes. Nope. So when she went out she to She didn't make- know the clumps <laughs> were coming over. <laughs> <laughs> so when she went out to like make more potatoes, she was too fast with it. She didn't c- cook the potatoes all the way through. So when Mick went and tried to stab the potato with the fork, the potato flew off the fucking plate.
3: You want to so- heat it up? Why don't you shove it up your ass? <laughs> <laughs> so all night it's just jokes. It's just potato jokes. Wow. This is embarrassing. <laughs> wow.
1: I don't like when me potatoes are too stiff. I'm going for a drive.
3: <laughs> this is unbelievable. I think that they're being a little rude to this poor woman. Yeah. Leave I mean, her alone. You sure. Mean,
4: we'll, we'll see later uh, whether Sonya is culpable or not. Whether well, not, I'm, I'm not so convinced that Sonya truly deserves our sympathy. Well. Yeah. So, after dropping off his family, after the party, and tired of waiting for someone to discover the body, plus anxious to retrieve that five-pound note, Peter returned
3: to the body of Gene Jordan nine days after killing her. Oh, my God. So, what do we have? What's decomposition after nine days? You were in the putrefaction uh, stage at this point. So, it's pretty wet. Yeah. Yeah, she's getting soft. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's dig so this is like the worst double dare. What was that game where you had to dig across like all that? Was that double dare to get the, yeah, the think, flags? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we yeah, had yeah. to go through the goop. All He's the goop. Going through for five for five bucks.
1: <laughs> it's like if someone did an episode of Double Dare, but like during the 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 worst parts of Vietnam, just crawling through the putrefied bodies of VCs and, and an old te- your old buddy Private Tennessee.
3: Oh, and the poor host. He has OCD. He doesn't like to get dirty. (laughs) Mark Summers. Love Mark Summers. Well, this wasn't just to get five bucks back. He
4: knew that that $5 note, it was brand new. He'd just gotten it. He knew that that note might have been traced back to him. So he's trying to evade capture here. Yes. But he also wanted to make sure that everybody discovered the body. So he dragged the decomposing corpse out of the bushes and searched the clothes for the note but found nothing. So in a frustrated rage, he pulled out his knife and started stabbing the corpse in the chest. Then he picked up a piece of broken glass from the nearby greenhouse and slashed the body from the right knee to the left shoulder, opening the stomach, which spewed forth a cloud of noxious gases that caused Peter to vomit then and there. After composing himself, Peter came up with a new idea. In order to confuse the police, Peter tried removing the head from the corpse, using first a hacksaw he'd brought, then the piece of glass he'd used to open the stomach. But Peter found that the head is the most difficult body part to remove. Yeah. So he finally gave up, kicked the body a few times, and drove home, leaving the body out in the open to be found the next morning. Hmm. When the body was found, it was so mutilated and decomposed that the detective who arrived on the scene thought at first that somebody had robbed a nearby grave from Charlton and desecrated the corpse. I would
1: have believed it was from Charlton if they only were 400 pounds, but it's too skinny to be from Charlton. He's got far too many worms to saw his belly. Because that's all I eat over there. In that horrid, <laughs> horrid town of Trollton, I wish would just sink into the
3: very ground. I think Trollton's full of wonderful people, salt of the earth,
1: folks. I can't wait for our next special live from Trollton.
3: <laughs> and now, Henry will perform his famous I'm a pig joke. <laughs>
1: i'm a pig and i like to snort
3: oh my
4: i'm a pig and i like to jort
3: (laughs) that was the best show
4: i've ever seen in my life (laughs) but this was soon ruled a murder and further search of the area five days later revealed gene jordan's handbag and the elusive five pound note from Peter Sutcliffe. He didn't think to look in her purse? He had thrown it off into the distance. But like he, what, he had just th- It was dark. He didn't have a flashlight. Oh, right. He didn't know where he'd thrown it. And he probably also forgot that he tossed the handbag. He, it was nine days later. He probably forgot she even had a fucking handbag in the first place. Well, where
3: else do you think he that she would have put the money? Hey, she got pockets. Does she, she though? <laughs> no, you know the conspiracy. Well, they, they don't give women pockets, so they have to buy purses. He said
1: often that he would blank out, which oh. I actually kind of agree. I think that he probably did. I think that in the haze of the sexual release of the crime, he is not, his head's not in the game. No. And so when, it, when he, something like that detail happens, but didn't they also find it with some weird thing where it's like when they examined the body, it had like, nighttime worms like there's two ty- different types of like worms in it there are like daytime worms and nighttime worms and they found that the w- the ones that should have been in the dark side were flipped up
4: yeah and they were also mm. look and they I mean if we really want to get into the nitty-gritty of the forensics here uh they were able to tell that he had returned to the body and stabbed it after uh she had already died, um, because the eggs of the maggots in the wounds uh oh. were too young uh to be from the initial murder
1: and they were yeah. traumatized, and they had to go and bring a grief counselor to those young. Maggots just so that they can get through (laughs) maggot high school. I know to maggot college and join the uh president's administration. (laughs) I hear you that.
3: And it's easy to tell a nighttime worm from a daytime worm because the nighttime worms got their bell bottoms on, they got nice fancy shirts on like Joe Exotic. They are ready to party. Yes.
4: Because that five pound note was brand new, the Ripper task force figured it'd be a simple thing to track down where it came from. And if they figured out where it came from, that would help them narrow down the list of suspects in the Ripper killing. Okay. And this wasn't a bad idea at all, because this method had been successfully tried in another murder case in Manchester not too long before this. Unfortunately, though, this effort only widened the scope after tracing the note back to the Leeds branch at the Bank of England, it was determined that it was sent out in one of 6,000 pay packets distributed amongst 34 firms, hmm. one of which employed Peter Sutcliffe as a truck driver. But even so, detectives still interviewed all 6,000 men. Damn. six. This is just a shit. Tiny, this is a tiny sliver of this entire fucking operation.
3: You know, at least they're trying. They are. They mm-hmm. tried
4: their asses off. They just didn't have the leadership right. that they
3: needed. Well, he's robo-tripping listening to <laughs> Wiz Khalifa. Or something. It's hard <laughs> when you're your own
1: radio we're... station
3: yeah. <laughs> to be a, a
4: police constant. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, in this interview sweep was Peter Sutcliffe. But when he was interviewed... Peter had alibis for both the night Gene Jordan was murdered and for the night she was mutilated. Well, he could just make anything up, right? Sonia vouched for him. She said he was home all night, both nights. If
3: Only if he never mentions the potato incident again.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how it goes.
1: Apparently, I mean, she just said it because he would... Because she had her weird night thing, so she'd leave half the time and not really she's not really certain where he is but during that specific interview he just like looked at her he's like well no, i was home right i was home all night right and she went yeah <laughs> meanwhile she's making a new fucking
4: huge dildo looking thing that i guess is supposed to be a
1: towel rack
4: <laughs> <laughs> now sonia lying wasn't necessarily a failing of the cops But the investigating officers did neglect to write down that Peter had previously owned a white Ford Corsair, Mm. and they also failed to search Peter's home. They also ignored Peter's new red Ford Corsair. If they had examined that, they would have discovered that the tire tracks found near Gene Jordan's body would have been a perfect match for Peter Sutcliffe's red Corsair, which blinked with the five-pound note given out in Peter Sutcliffe's pay packet... That would have
3: sunk Peter Sutcliffe. There was what's interesting, I guess, is that he left no hair at the scene, huh?
4: Well, I mean he must have what are you gonna that match that to?
3: His head. <laughs> he, he must have that thing on lockdown.
4: This is 1978. Like there's not DNA uh there's no DNA uh tests available at this time. Yeah, so hair doesn't the hair doesn't really mean that much.
1: I've gotta tell you, Captain Oldfield, this is the first time I've ever found a square hair. <laughs> But the thing
4: was that there was just too much information to sluice through. It was like, see, the computational techniques that we pioneered here in America, the techniques that have kept our serial killer count relatively low in recent history, all that shit was still in its infancy in the late 70s. What that meant was that the cops working the Yorkshire Ripper case were dealing with hundreds of thousands of note cards and written reports, and nobody was able to put all the information together in any meaningful way. Now, just to give you a sense of how much power computers give investigators and why killers no longer reach numbers in the 20s and 30s, the simple command of Control-F in a database of suspects would have shown investigators every single time Sutcliffe showed up in a sweep. But as Mm. it was... None of the major operations to find the Yorkshire Ripper, like the five-pound note inquiry, were ever cross-referenced with the ones that came before or after. And since every operation was done Mm. by a different team, Peter slipped through the cracks again and again. Today, he would have been caught by two keys on a keyboard.
3: Damn.
1: Damn. That fast. Honestly, I really do think that that fast at this point.
3: Yeah, I mean, then the detective who's robo-tripping can just get back to having fun.
4: (laughs) (laughs) As such, Peter committed another murder on January 21st, 1978. With Avon Pearson, Sutcliffe struck her over the head with his hammer 17 times and stuffed handfuls of horsehair down her throat to keep her quiet as a car drove by during the murder. He then kicked her repeatedly and finally killed her by jumping on her chest with both feet, crushing her internal organs. But... This one was not considered a ripper murder, despite the brutality, because Yvonne Pearson had not been, in effect, ripped. So you're seeing his rage escalate, and the more and more things go, and the
1: less and less, like, every single time they come and speak to him and he is not caught, the more confident he gets, and the more he starts to feel like, I can get away with anything.
3: And you know, one detective showed up and was like, well, her stomach was jumped upon, Where's Yosemite Sam? Is Yosemite (laughs) Sam around? Because if I see him, he's going to be in cuffs. He's now a suspect number one. But the next victim, Helen Ritka,
4: would surely be included in the Ripper's murder count. It is so weird that they took the
3: Ripper to, like... They took that so literally, yeah.
4: Where they're like, "But what about the ball pin hammer?" No, nope. that—that's the thing. Is that if it so was if only would... halfway, then uh, I don't know how many people were being murdered with fucking ball pin hammers in York, West Yorkshire at this time. But if there was no knife involved, then it was not sent to the uh, the task force. Jeez,
1: they didn't know what the hell. It's not, I don't know if it's that they didn't know what the hell that they were doing. It's it they got caught up in the specifics because they were trying to figure out a way to narrow it down right. so they're like well it can't possibly be a ripper crime because the ripper rips and so they just l- l- kind of pushed that one out they're mm-hmm. trying to see if they could get other people meanwhile people just keep getting murdered
3: and yeah. if you notice here a detective samson this is a tear so this would not be yorkshire ripper <laughs> um yes normally
1: yeah. a rape mm-hmm. takes a ripper.
3: Uh-huh. Now, right here,
1: this is a stomp up. Oh. And I don't say us going after no stompings,
4: so we're going after rips. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, they just tried to keep narrowing their focus as much as humanly possible. But, you know, that gives you tunnel vision. Yep. And any good detective will tell you that tunnel vision is the detective's worst
3: enemy. Tunnel Vision is also what you get when you (laughs) (laughs) robo-trip. Yeah, Tunnel Vision's also one of the best songs by fucking, I believe it's... Foreigner.
1: Foreigner, yeah,
3: man. I fucking love Tunnel Vision. No, wait. We're thinking of Double Vision.
2: Double Double Vision. Vision.
1: Fuck yeah, dude.
3: Fucking (laughs) rocking it, man. Feeling good, dude. All right. All of our our nieces and nephews out there, if you haven't checked out (laughs) Foreigner's Double Vision, stop this right now. Push play on Spotify. Well,
4: With Helen Ritka. Peter left six stab wounds in the ribcage and heart before covering the body with a sheet of asbestos. He then went home, sponged the blood off his shoes, and put the knife he'd just used to murder a woman back in the kitchen drawer for Sonia to use. Oh my god. To add insult to homicide, though, before Ritka's body was discovered... Men working in the lumber yard next to the murder site found her discarded panties on a blood-stained patch of ground. But rather than report it, they nailed the panties to the door of a shed as a laugh.
1: I think America gets a lot of shit. Uh-huh.
4: I, I think we get a
1: lot of shit for saying that we're big, fat, loud, classless, armed. Sure. And I think that a lot of it's correct. Yeah. But I think that the the UK scumbag is unique and and in its own way and and it has its own horrible stripes between shitting and pissing in graves and and just taking a pair of bloody panties and nailing it like it's a messiah to the wall I don't think is I I, I, you know I'm not laughing
4: yeah no I, I I totally agree with you Well, after Ritka's body was discovered by the police, the authorities put even more men on the case. They set up the Special Homicide Investigation Team, a.k.a. the Shit Squad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, Shit Squad's here. they put Detective Chief Superintendent John DeMail in charge. But the Shit Squad had... (laughs) Uh
3: Uh-oh, Shit Squad's
2: here.
4: (laughs) They had no idea... How truly bizarre and specific Peter Sutcliffe's habits have become. See, after Sutcliffe was arrested, police made an incredible discovery once they stripped him down. Something that Peter never mentioned in any of his confessions and something that was never brought up in trial. Is this going to be a big reveal? This is
1: the fact that I say is my favorite serial killer tidbit
4: I've heard in a long time. See, when cops searched Sutcliffe's person after he was caught, Uh they discovered that the Yorkshire Ripper's underwear was stuffed in his coat pocket, which struck the police as somewhat odd. Yeah, because, well, he had cut, he wore a long
1: brown gross jacket when he'd go out to do his deeds. And he'd cut holes in the pockets so he could keep his hammer and his knife and, I guess,
3: just his loose underwear in the lining of his jacket. So he's like Howard Stern after he had the affair and he put it in the glove box? Remember that? (laughs) And his wife found it? I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) BC. Pig vomit. The underwear in the pocket only
4: made sense after Peter was stripped down. Once his pants were off, police discovered that the Yorkshire Ripper wore a special undergarment that he changed into before every murder. Peter Sutcliffe had modified a v-neck sweater to work as a pair of leggings. What would normally serve as the arms were pulled over Peter's legs, leaving the v-neck to fully expose his genitals so they could be easily accessed at any time. Furthermore, Peter had also affixed reinforced padding into the arms of the v-neck in the spots where his knees would have been, meaning the Yorkshire Ripper had developed a full apparatus to comfortably kneel and masturbate at crime scenes. Can you imagine the vision
1: <sighs> of stripping a um, Yorkshire man, a working class man, um, who's not washed in no, any way, shape, or no. form? One of the great washed is what they called him when they found him. And, you take, and he's just like, you sure you want me on Because they talk about it, he's just like, do I, do I got to? And they're like, yes, you do and he slowly embarrassingly reveals his special mormon underwear that he has with his full yorkshire fucking hair covered dick and balls <laughs> hanging out of a j crew fucking v neck underneath under his pants all you know it's all fucking crusted over oh, and it was disgusting. super it was like his superman underwear that he'd wear to go out and there's something about this cuz we know that he
4: masturbated At the crime scene. Yeah, we know he did because semen was found near some of the bodies. But he never talked about this, right? He never mentioned this little detail in any of his confessions at all. When I,
1: part of me thinks the reason why that he didn't mention it or doesn't talk about it, why all the cops didn't talk about it was because Peter Sutcliffe imagined a fake masculinity. Like it goes back to the very beginning where he said that prostitutes used to like, you know, have sex with him for free. And they used to love it, right? And his concept of they are less than him, and just the sheer attraction to this woman makes him like less of a man. So there's something about this process and him admitting that I am attracted to sex workers. And I love the idea. I, I love them. They are looser, freer, like they're a freer woman than anybody I'm married to because they, they'll do all the fucked up shit that I want them to do, quote unquote. I think that I would. But and I, said heard- I just murder them. And then I, I made special underwear. I went that far to sew in knee pads into a sweater
4: so I can include this as a part of my sexual function. But long before this was discovered, Peter Sutcliffe would commit murder again and again and again. Now the shit squad was trying their <laughs> <laughs> Shit Squad's here. They were I'm trying- making
1: this morning radio today. I'm doing
4: this. <laughs> now, they were trying their best to surveil the red light areas in West Yorkshire, and this again led them back to Peter Sutcliffe the squad kept watch on red light districts in leeds bradford and manchester and peter sutcliffe's red corsair showed up seven times in multiple areas in less than a month so another interview was scheduled however peter was only one interview of thousands and these interviews were done in about the most british way you can imagine yeah Uh oh
3: How much tea was involved? How many crumpets? A lot Uh, of tea was involved. uh, See, that's the thing with American detectives and FBI. They don't take anything that you offer them. (laughs) They refuse to do it. No. See, none of the men interviewed were told they'd been seen in a red
4: light district. And the officers were instructed to be absolutely discreet with the wives of said suspects. These cops said they lived by one phrase. Softly, softly, catchy the monkey. What?
3: I'm sorry, what was that?
4: Softly,
1: softly, Softly. catching the monkey.
3: Now, did this come straight up from the detective, the lead detective who's robo-tripping right now, (laughs) wearing his underwear on his head? Softly, softly. This is uniquely British, because the U.S., we did not do anything softly. Our law enforcement enforcement is very loud, as a matter of fact. Very loud. Oh, it gets even more British than
4: that. What this meant. Was that they had to do their investigation while also being careful to not antagonize the marriages of twenty-two thousand Yorkshiremen who driven through a red light district for one reason or another. Just one reason or through, another. Just because you you know
2: drove,
3: what I mean. I mean you yeah. don't have to. Sometimes the red light district is right by a great Popeyes, and you got to get the <laughs> chicken
4: sandwich. Yeah, just because you're in the red light district, just because you drive through there doesn't necessarily mean you were there for a lady. Yeah, it's like when yeah, I drove mean, through, I ended
1: up on all these websites on accident. I've said this how many times I've said the two bosses of places I've worked be like all of this was an accident I was just driving through this lesbian schoolgirl university I was I was looking at it to see
4: my daughter where will my daughter go to school well in order to do this discreetly the cops would usually distract the wife by asking her to go make them all a cup of tea oh my goodness (laughs) and in the five minutes or so when she was out of the room the cops would quickly interrogate the subject as to whether or not they were purchasers of affection. The rule was
3: never ask about it if the wife was around. They also shouldn't have been interviewing these guys in front of their wives to begin with. No. But, okay.
1: It's just weird how they had... Well, it's because it's a family affair and the cops are coming, and it's a big deal. It's Yorkshire. Sure. Um, you're, you're excited to see the constable. He comes around, and, you know, he's got his wig on. I'm not certain. <laughs> I don't think they had wigs. I think barristers have wigs. But they... they walk into the but the, just this idea of having to soft pedal all of these people and she'd be like yeah. eh love it, make yourself a cup of tea hey alright cause he first would ask for a cup of water which would turn immediately into a cup of tea so they would go and make the tea and they'd be like you tell me out there a boy it's between you and me their body. what have you been doing over there what do <laughs> do like and they're like eh, hey like rubbing elbows with each other and it's like there's a fucking serial killer yeah drip, literally ripping through the countryside
3: Good lord, it's like Simon Pegg from uh, from Hot Fuzz, uh, from Hot Fuzz. Mm-hmm. and Shaun of the Dead wrote these goddamn cops characters. <laughs> They're ridiculous. Now this non-confrontational
4: approach to police work probably wasn't the best way to go about things. No, definitely not. But at the very least, cross-referencing names with previous suspect lists might have given investigators something to work with. Unfortunately, though, that didn't happen.
2: Mm.
4: When Sutcliffe was questioned in this sweep... The officer had no idea that this was actually Peter Sutcliffe's third interview concerning the Ripper case because no cross-referencing had been done.
3: Now, I thought that when the shit squad was finished with the interview, one officer would take a little dump right outside the door so that then all the other officers would know, oh, we already got that one. There should have been two dumps outside. Oh, it's the office that they've
1: already had a shite visit here.
3: And so Sutcliffe was again
4: able to evade suspicion, and on April 4th, 1970, he murdered another woman outside of the sex work business, which naturally increased the volume of
3: public outcry. So he is not getting deterred buy this no no i mean it's no. interesting these cops you know those new heineken commercials with the heineken 0.0 and then they have like the guy getting pulled over with the heineken bottle and then they have a good laugh because there's no alcohol in it but in reality yeah. you get pulled from your car and you get beat up no matter fucking what wailed
1: mm-hmm. on exactly
3: yeah, dragged down the street <laughs> i guess it was more of that reality for him where it was like oh this is fine these cops aren't even against me they're kind of friends it just seems like at some point you would have a chilling effect to be like, okay. Well, he figures out real fast that all he has to do is stonewall
4: the cops and say, nope, wasn't there. Uh, my wife says that I wasn't there. And she'll say, look, yep, nope, he wasn't there. He was there with me. And then the cops, they have so many people to interview, so many people to get through that they're just, I mean, they're in a daze. How is many of he was probably, what, the 50th person they'd interviewed that day,
1: 60th? This is also, I made the joke last week about it being kind of like Hobbiton. But Yorkshire is a really nice part of the UK. There's not like there. Yes, it has rough patches, but it's honestly a really nice spot. So I think there's also a little bit of being like, we're not trying to ruffle too many feathers. Right. here mm-hmm. By really stiff arming people because they're British and they don't want to spoil the crumpets. Tension yeah. in the air actually will ruin a scones. <laughs>
3: heard
4: that for his next murder. Sutcliffe followed 19-year-old Josephine Whittaker into a field where she usually took a shortcut to her grandmother's house. He asked her the time, and when she told him after looking at a faraway clock tower, Peter congratulated her on her good eyesight before thwacking her twice with a hammer. Mm. Suddenly, though, across the field, people saw two people walking towards them. So he dragged Josephine, still alive and softly moaning, further away from the road. And as the figures drew closer... Peter pulled out his screwdriver and stabbed Josephine nine times in the front, 12 times in the back, and an untold number of times in the vagina.
3: Uh, so he's back to the fucking screwdriver?
4: Yes. He, he goes back and forth between the screwdriver and the, and the knife.
1: And, the, and the, He made this a weapon. Like He purposely made it sharper in order to do this. So it shows more of his weird premeditation.
3: But he always has the hammer. Mm, always. Never, so you, never
4: they, once does he murder without the hammer
3: feel like that should be the tool that the cops are focusing on, not the knife, but...
4: Then Sutcliffe left a bite mark on her breast that was unmistakably his because the eighth-inch gap between his two front teeth was clear to the forensics team, who later examined the body. It's also how you can always tell if Ernest Borgnine got to your sandwich before you got to him. <laughs> <laughs> Eleven days before this incident occurred, though, the cops thought that they'd finally caught a break when they suddenly found themselves thrust into a narrative that seemed straight out of Victorian England. See, in mid-1978, both head investigator George Oldfield and the Sunday Mirror received letters reminiscent of Jack the Ripper's famous missives sent almost 100 years before.
2: Hmm.
4: While neither letter had the flair of Jack's dear boss letter, they still sounded legit, even if they are pretty trite. Mm. It, it's the it's your pretty typical like i'll kill them holes you know that sort right. of shit like it was nothing special it was it was no fucking son of sam letter i'll tell right. you that much no no it's just no what, it's it what, didn't
1: it wasn't creatively written as a matter of fact there's actually and there are some sentences that were straight up lifted from the old jack the ripper letters mm-hmm. put inside of his letters so you know it's very interesting.
3: Probably just sounded like the mumblings of Robert Wagner before he killed Natalie Wood. <laughs> <laughs> just whatever he was saying. You know when you're high on cocaine and also hammered but trying to tell secrets, <laughs> here, but no one else is around?
1: Um, sir, um, you're yelling. Um, is the, I know that's me. a secret because I mean, what you said is horrible. You're yelling it. I'm going to throw her
3: off the goddamn end of the bridge, man. I'm throw her off the boat. You know, I can one. hear from across the room. Yeah, you can hear that. Oh, I think I'm talking out loud. Can they hear me? Oh, goddammit.
1: I can hear you, sir. Sir, you are frightening. I'm going to have to ask you to leave this chili.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in addition to them sounding legit, semen found near the body of Joan Harrison was from a B blood type secretor, which matched the saliva from the envelope sent to the cops and the media.
3: So they're thinking this is legit. They're thinking this is real. Yeah, it's actually one of my favorite guns too. the B bullet type secretor. (laughs) It is. It's powerful. It it shoots one really droopy bullet,
4: um, but powerful, powerful bullet. Now this was all kept a secret in 1978, but when another letter arrived a year later, along with an audio tape, George Oldfield was desperate enough to release both of them to the public. This is an edited version of the tape in question.
0: I'm Jack. I see you are still having no look catching me. I have the greatest respect for you, George. But Lord, you are no nearer catching me now. And four years ago when I started. I reckon your boys are letting you down, George. They can't be much good, can they? The only time they came near catching me was a few months back in Chapeltown. when I was disturbed. I warned you in March that I'd strike again. Sorry, it wasn't Bradford. I'm not quite sure when I'll strike again, but it will be definitely sometime this year. I'm not sure where, maybe Manchester, I like it there, there's plenty of them knocking about, they never learn do they George, I bet you've warned them, but they never listen, well it's been a nice chatting to you George, yours Chuck the Ripper.
3: Hello, I'm Dylan Thomas, and I am here to cast you in the Yorkshire version of Under Milkwood. This is wonderful. Your accent is exactly what we're going for. We did Under Milkwood in high school or in yeah. college, rather, uh-huh. from UW Stout in Menominee, Wisconsin. You can imagine how horrible our acting. I would love, I would
1: love to have seen that. Just
3: you, see, you as a tree. I was, I was a detective who took a dump in a hat.
4: That's true. Now, that wasn't how the tape actually ended. We just heard an edited version of it. Instead, the last line said, hope you like the catchy tune at the end. And that statement was followed by this song. And I'm being absolutely serious here. Oh, my God.
2: Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant.
3: You know the lead detective robo tripping right now
4: is just like
2: <laughs> loving this.
4: This is a good song. I like it. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for being a friend. Wow. Of course, later the theme song for Golden Girls. And
1: if you do pot it
3: <laughs> and invite everyone
2: yeah. you do. Honestly, it's such
3: a catchy song. It's a great song. I'm always and always will be Team Blanche. <laughs> you are a fucking Blanche. <laughs> I'm a Raphael and I'm a Blanche. I just watched TMNT, the 1990 movie. Yeah. I, I, I think Raphael, is, I was formed... Yeah. No, yeah. we know this. Yeah. We and, know this. And I think maybe the other Ninja Turtles should have listened to Leonardo a little bit more. Yeah, if they wanted oh, to have no fun. <laughs> yeah, if they wanted to have zero <laughs> fun. Also, they wouldn't have met Casey Jones without Raphael <laughs> being out there.
1: I do feel like, though, Michelangelo like would have eaten a Tide Pod.
3: <laughs> like, he
1: would have accidentally poisoned himself at some point. <laughs>
4: Now, how George Oldfield took this song was that the Ripper saw him as a friend, an equal.
3: What a creative way
4: to take that song. I mean...
3: That's like a little on the
4: nose, don't you think? It's a fair assumption to make because the men who eventually lured Dennis Rader into making the mistake that got him mm-hmm. caught, they did the exact same thing almost 30 years later. Yeah, sent us an email. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, I can't wait to talk to you. Yeah. yeah. But the problem here was that neither the tapes nor the letters were sent by Peter Sutcliffe. In reality, the communications have been sent by an abusive alcoholic named John Humble. Nicknamed John the Bag because he'd always have a sack of strong cider slung over his shoulder.
3: He he would have just been a Howard Ster- he would have been a Howard Stern call in character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John the Bag is in the whack pack. He, absolutely he's <laughs> in the whack pack. <laughs> absolutely oh my God. they would have called him. But
1: John Humble is a sad fuck. And I watched a documentary on him, and it is very, very sad that he uh, is just one of those people. When they ask the reason why, why, why you do this, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll cover, it. we'll talk a little bit more about him in a little bit from now. But I think it's interesting how he was driven by subconscious forces to do something like this as a way to make himself feel like he matters, right? As a way for him to stick his head into in the in the most I'm going to say, oh, almost sociopathic way yeah. where he just kind of joins in on this conversation as an almost, in my mind, a psychic completion of the story of Jack the Ripper and of a new Jack the Ripper, where it's almost like like Jack Ruby, where it, in a way the way history functions, these people arrive. To fill slots in 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 history, they they just kind of show up, and then all of a sudden, welcome welcome to the story. You just joined in, and you righteously fucked it up. But for some reason, the universe brings all of these things together to make it an exact parallel. Like the Jack the Ripper parallel is so interesting because it's exact. It did exactly. It's exactly the same, except you know. They got Peter Sutcliffe.
3: All right, Mr. Mr. Ruby, we're casting you in the JFK assassination situation. Oh, what's my line?
2: Oswald! Oswald! (laughs) All right,
3: all right. Well, John the Bag was from Sunderland. (laughs) John the Bag. I love John the Bag. Saddest nickname (laughs) I've ever... You get it, because I got a big bag.
4: (laughs) Well, he was from Sunderland, what the English call a Geordie. And because Oldfield was absolutely convinced that the tape and the letters were authentic the task force operated under the false assumption that the Yorkshire Ripper was from Sunderland for a good chunk of time. Oh, man. And it was this false assumption that allowed Peter Sutcliffe to slip through the net once again in the summer of
3: 1979. So this guy's little joke led to the murder of, what, probably four more people? Four more, yeah. Oh, Yeah, four more people, and he knew it.
1: Yeah, uh, he knew what he we knew it that that it was going on, and it causes him to he did
4: co- attempt to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's see, Sutcliffe had traded in his Corsair for a Sunbeam Rapier, and that car had been seen in the Lum Lane area thirty-six times.
1: You don't see a lot of cars with "rape" in
3: their name. No, I think the the rape has sort of been rebranded. I think is I think it's now just called Camry. Man,
1: I'm, I had when I had my Nissan Gaper in college. Oh, I was just so it was so yeah, cool yeah, to yeah, drive yeah. around my lime green Gaper.
3: <laughs> no, I had the Ford Balls Deep, which is really just it's it's great. It's always in four wheel drive though.
4: Kind of frustrating, but again, the interviewing officer, Detective Andrew Lapto, had no idea that this was now the fifth time that Sutcliffe had been spoken with concerning the Yorkshire Ripper case. Lap 2's impression of the people at number 6 Garden Lane was that Peter and Sonia were unusually quiet and totally lacking in a sense of humor. Because when Lap 2 tried his standard, this is your chance to get rid of your husband joke, neither one cracked a smile. And usually it killed. I am so mad that these cops had material. <laughs> they yeah. walked in
1: literally with bits. And you, I, uh, you know, just... Just fuck cat's serial killer, guys. Yeah. It's has got skill Stop worrying about it if your jokes are going flat.
3: No, <laughs> cop jokes are always horrible because you're the punchline and you getting incarcerated is like the final funniest part.
4: And <laughs> Lab 2 remembered this interaction because Sutcliffe was suspicious. In addition to Peter's visits to Lon Lane, Sutcliffe also resembled a photo fit put together by a surviving victim. And he had that huge eighth-inch gap in his front teeth. And he had all the right facial hair. The first time in the world anybody ever said that he had all the right facial hair. (laughs) (laughs) But Peter Sutcliffe obviously had a Bradford accent. And since the entire investigation at that time was operating under the assumption that the Ripper had a Geordie accent... Peter was once again put in an ever-growing follow-up pile
3: and was largely forgotten. Assumption, you know what that stands for? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, making an asset of you and me. If you didn't fucking okay. know that, okay. Then I, so, yeah, yes. okay, that's what. Yeah, I'm I
1: do fucking know what it means. Do you know okay. what it means?
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but not too long after that, though,
4: George Oldfield, who'd been running himself ragged for years trying to find the Ripper, suffered a heart attack owing to all the cigarettes, booze, and cough syrup. And mm-hmm. he never returned to the case.
3: Oh. I kind of was hoping that he could get some closure, but I guess he lived a heart attack lifestyle. Yeah, he did. You just figured that the coughs here would kind of, like, equalize all
1: the coughing from the cigarettes. Yeah, that's,
3: <laughs> maybe that's why he did it. It's called being even. I'm just like,
4: <laughs> But it's not like new leadership led to the capture of the Ripper. It'd be another year and a half before Peter Sutcliffe was caught, and at least two more women would die, while an untold number would be attacked. mm So, in a wildly desperate attempt to capture the killer, authorities doubled down on the recordings and letters, even though linguistic experts by this point were beginning to question even the authenticity of the Geordie accent. They began a public information campaign called Project R, which broadcast a single message in 300 newspaper ads, 5,000 billboards, and constant radio and television advertisements. It said, The man next to you
1: may have killed 12 women. He may be sitting or standing next to you in your pub, club, or canteen, or in a queue, on a bus. He may be working at the next machine, desk or table, but he is in fact a vicious, deranged maniac whose method of murder and mutilation is so sick that it turned the stomachs of even the most hardened of police officers. Here's how you can help. Look closely at the handwriting. It is the handwriting of a sadistic killer. And if you think you'll recognize it from a note, letter, envelope, signature, check, anything, <laughs> report it to your local police. Listen to the killer's voice. By phoning leads, STD 0532464111, you can hear probably the most important clue to the killer's identity his voice. It won't be a pleasant experience, but it could lead to the end of the brutal murders. If you think you recognize the voice, tell the police. Help us stop the Ripper from killing again. Look at his handwriting. Listen to his voice.
3: I just got to say, that's a lot of words for a billboard. You know, that, that might cause more accidents you know, than you he's driving driving fucking <laughs> 70 kilometers. Why is everyone going one mile an hour during this road of land?
4: I mean, imagine listening to the fucking radio, and that comes on every twenty minutes or so. I just yeah, it reminds me of
1: in these hard times. <laughs> we here at Nissan, we care about you, <laughs> and that's why we still will sell
3: you a car. If I see one more fucking celebrity next to their pool trying to relate to me,
2: I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just, uh, uh, yeah, why don't you go swimming? Why don't you just
3: go swimming? <laughs>
4: As we know from the many investigations we've covered, the tactic of opening the investigation to the public almost never works. With, of
3: course, the high-profile exception of Ted Kaczynski. So it really is not more, in this case, it's not more than merrier. You Mm-mm. want, like, you kind of want less no. less, less, uh,
4: less chefs in the old kitchen. Well, in this case, the cops got 3000 1000 calls on the first day and 19,000 calls over the first three months, which of course needed the allocation of resources to field those calls and resources to follow up on the leads. And it was all based off what was essentially a bad prank.
3: Honestly, what they what I think they need there is a relationship counselor because you know how many girlfriends were just like, It's Tom! <laughs> I know, he's like, Bab, oh, yeah, babe, babe, I would never do that, babe. It's always, we saw it in
1: Son of Sam 2. Mm-hmm. You know, they, this shit comes out of the woodwork because then it's everybody with a Geordie accent who's also an asshole <laughs> just gets put on that list.
4: One merciful break was that John the Bag's conscience finally got the better of him. When he realized just how badly he was fucking everything up, he sent four letters to the police and even called to tell everyone that the tape and the letters were a hoax, oh saying, stop putting resources into this.
1: It's so sad. It's such a sad waste of everything, of time and energy His life was a waste. Yeah. (laughs) Like, straight up. He ruined so many people's lives with this dumb little thing that he decided, some weird impulse he decided to follow. But I do love his follow-up calls where he's like, stop listening to the (laughs) (laughs) teeth. Like, he's trying to cover up the voice and he's like, the teeth is big. Yeah, watch it. Then he comes out. Yeah, this is Ted Koppel calling, <laughs> saying, yeah, those tapes are a hoax." and you need to think about it. Like, anything but his voice. He's just calling and trying uh, to stop the shit.
3: I know. Uh, so this, this poor drunk, honestly, he just needed, he needed Bob and Tom to call into. Yeah. He needed a radio show where he could be a local hacky talent. Well, he didn't own up completely. He didn't go in, throw up his hands, and say, like,
4: hey, I was the guy. He didn't get caught for this until 2005. Oh,
3: shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, what he, were the charges then?
4: Uh, inter- interfering with a police yeah, okay. investigation. He got eight years Oh, okay. For this. Well, yeah. honestly,
3: aided and abetted in the murder of a couple people. In his people, 50s, though. So. Yeah. yeah. Damn.
4: Yeah, because he had gotten arrested for, like, drunken disorderly in 2005. His DNA went into the national database. They checked it against every other sample of DNA that they had. Yeah. Uh, and they were like, whoa,
3: wow. Oh, you're that guy. You know, we're going to fuck you up. In Ireland, you get arrested for drunken orderly. Like, <laughs> you better start getting a little crazier. You're being suspect. Yeah. Hello, hello. I'll be here until Tuesday. And then my wife, she's demanding that I go to court. <laughs> <laughs> But even so, like,
4: the voice, like, when he called up and said, like, hey, the tape isn't real, that voice matched the voice on the tape that they already had. Mm.
1: This is Gilbert Godfrey, calling <laughs> you to say, <laughs> don't take oh, our And if he just had channeled some of this into being a radio man, like a voice man. <laughs>
4: yeah. So if the authorities decided that it might have been a really fucking stupid idea to eliminate suspects based solely on their accent.
1: And I want to talk about this in the UK in general, how many fucking accents you have. There's so many different types of accents, and they're so specific, each one. And I don't even... I'm going to say, this might be racist against white people. Uh I really can barely tell the difference between a Geordie accent and a Yorkshire accent. I know that they are different, but the fact that like, Well, that's a Geordie accent. There's no way (laughs) it comes from over here,
3: because this here's a Lancashire accent. (laughs)
1: Oh. The accent. <laughs> and so they all got different accents and they're all very proud of them.
3: Honk. Oh, I guess that's the buzzer for character actor gripes to be done. <laughs> Great new section, which I love. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, problem with them saying that, hey, maybe we shouldn't eliminate people because of the accent. Problem with that is that it once again widened the scope of the investigation.
1: Oh. Now you got to start all over from the fucking beginning.
4: Four years after the investigation began, the shit squad had taken almost 25,000 statements, done over 50,000 vehicle checks, made 25,000 house-to-house inquiries, and had interviewed almost 200,000 people.
3: And ironically, all of those pieces of paper, about as good as toilet paper. Well, no, not at all. There were plenty of pieces of paper with Peter Suckless name on it. Yeah, well, those are the ones you want to keep. That's your double-ply
4: Charmin. He went to speak to him again and again and again. <laughs> And by the time it was all over and done with, Peter Sutcliffe would be interviewed 10 times and would never be a main suspect, despite the fact that he was the only person who showed up in every single major ripper operation. Jeez. But perhaps the multiple interviews had taken a toll on Sutcliffe, because in the summer of 1980, Peter was arrested for drink driving, as they call it in England, Hmm. and lost his job as a truck driver.
3: Oh, that's the problem.
4: (laughs) Besides that, Peter's domestic life was becoming a quiet hell. Sonia had become obsessed with cleanliness, keeping their entire house encased in plastic. (laughs) And she refused to sit anywhere outside of the home without dusting and blowing on the area for a full two minutes beforehand
1: sounds like me right now (laughs) going insane but it's really again and then with the the pottery and all of the bullshit i i feel like i'm not gonna say she knew but i am gonna say when your husband goes for a long period of time maybe they maybe there was a former relationship maybe some maybe there was some type of arrangement where he said i see prostitutes and she says, go do it. And that becomes yeah. like a a housing thing where he is doing that uh-huh. because maybe, uh, who knows? I'm not, I mean, that's total conjecture. So, I have no fucking idea. So clue. you're
3: saying it's but, kind of like a pornographic sixth sense <laughs> where instead of dead people, he only sees prostitutes. Well, no,
1: it's the, you know, it's the story of the song, you know, let me smell your dick. <laughs> oh. so you have to go and be in like, because you know that dick is smelling weird. What Weirder than <laughs> usual.
3: Hold on. There's yeah. a song with the lyrics, let me smell your dick?
1: Yeah, buddy, it's about cheating. What
4: song is that? It's called I believe it's called Let Me
1: Smell Yo Dick. <laughs>
4: uh, it is called Let Me Smell. I mean, there's a lot of songs called Smell Yo Dick. No kidding. Yeah, there's one by a woman named Risque. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, uh, mm-hmm. wait, no, never mind. It's the only one. It's just a woman. It's just yeah. one.
1: Okay, well good for her. Yeah, a man named Risque, Let Me Smell Yo Dick, and it's not like uh, it's not like a sommelier. He's not looking for top notes and looking bottom notes. It's about saying whether or not. I mean, I don't know if women can tell the difference between the smell of their own pussy juices and other people's pussy juices. That's a question for our listeners. Side stories lto sure. at gmail dot com. Feel free to answer. And can you tell the difference between pussy juices? I think so they can. That's just, that's just research.
4: Oh, they can. Yeah. And not too
3: long after losing his job. <laughs> well,
4: they can
3: You got to stink of you You got to stink on you of another lady. They know.
4: <laughs> and not too long after losing his job, Peter killed again, this time strangling a woman named Marguerite Walls instead of stabbing her in an attempt to throw the police off the trail. Hmm. And in doing this, he succeeded, since he still used a hammer. But not a knife. The murder of Marguerite Walls was placed in the -the run-of-the-mill sex worker murder category, and it stayed far away from the shit squad. Damn.
3: My question
2: is: Is
1: that they not feel like hammers should be like not sold anymore? We need to be like thinking about hammers, like how that's like a a wave. I don't know how many people. I actually also then wonder if there are copy, if there are copycat crimes going on at the same time.
4: Maybe, but I mean, I, don't, I really don't know how many hammer murders there were, or at least hammer attacks there were in the UK. It might, it might have been in the late 70s very common. I don't know. Is this
1: before they, had, they were allowed to not have guns?
4: I don't think the British have ever been super gun happy, at least not to our fucking level.
3: They're stabby. Yeah, they're very yeah, stabby. They're yeah, like they're stabbing. Yeah, yeah. They're, like, they, they're in better shape. <laughs> they kind of run around.
4: Well, not too long after that murder. Peter and Mick, his brother, they went to visit their sister in Morecambe. And, of course, Peter had to visit the wax museum.
3: Oh, yeah! Dude, this wax museum, I got into a hole. Man. <laughs> Those, the, I would I want to buy one. I wonder if we can buy one. And from what Mick
4: said, they went to the museum before going to their sister's place. He couldn't wait. And Peter relished showing his brother diseased penis after diseased penis, when all Mick wanted to do was go to the pub. This makes me feel for Marcus's brothers. <laughs>
1: Yes, absolutely. Because I is... know the same arrangement has happened between Marcus and his brothers where they're like, let's go to the bar, Marcus. You're like, no, look at this medical anomaly. Yes. Like, this is great, Marcus. We love your creativity. We think you're super successful. We're super proud of you. Um, Can we go get tacos? <laughs>
3: if you don't go to the medical uh, malnour matter, uh, if you don't go look at a bunch of diseased cocks and pussies, what are you going to talk about to alienate everyone at the bar? <laughs> so you got to have, you got to go in with ammo. No,
1: but then you always get this is pre nine. 9/11, so you don't got your fucking nine eleven truth or stuff to talk about. You really can't talk about how aluminum's making all the kids gay. It's <laughs> right. very difficult. All you can do to really ruin a dinner in the nineteen seventies is to shit in your pants.
4: Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Then on November seventeenth, nineteen eighty, Peter Sutcliffe committed his last murder. Now, as far as the shit squad was concerned Shit Squad's here. <laughs> there hadn't been a Ripper murder in almost a year. And the news had been pretty quiet as well. So, everyone's guard was down. And on that night, Peter Sutcliffe saw Jacqueline Hill exit a bus as he was elbow
3: deep in a bucket of KFC.
1: Oh, terrible commercial for for KFC. Very
3: bad. You know, he ran for Senate. Uh, The the, The the, colonel? The colonel did. Well, according to the sign at the Taco Bell KFC on McGinnis,
2: (laughs) uh, that, that
3: is what it said. So, that is where I'm getting that piece of information. Well, he
4: snuck up from behind. Hit her with his hammer, dragged her into a vacant lot, and stabbed her in the eye with his screwdriver. Ooh. Well, that was one of those where he said that he felt
1: her eyes were staring at him. Yeah. Oh, and he after she dead on the ground. That was one of those like full like psychological freakouts that he had.
3: Eyes and teeth. You know, oh. I can. I am doing better with teeth. I don't know what that means. I watch a lot of horror movies. Yeah, I use, teeth stuff. I used to have to like turn my head. Now I can watch teeth stuff. But eye stuff, man. Man, eyes of my mother
1: that fucking movie if you have an eye thing problem you want to never feel comfortable ever again watch eyes
4: of my mother that's a great recommendation and julia's eyes as well there's a really great (sighs) eye scene in that one that'll really fuck you up Mm, (sighs) yes now even though no one got a look at peter a brown square-shaped car had been seen in the area and that perfectly matched peter sutcliffe's brand new range rover he got a fucking Range Rover? He, like Henry City, he was one of those guys that spent all his fucking money on cars. Okay.
1: Loves cars. Sells the old cars, gets you new cars, constantly shuffling in and out. It's his thing. It's like us yeah. with
4: Jordans. Absolutely. The only person who put it together was Trevor And If you'll remember, Birdzell was present at two of Sutcliffe's earliest assaults, including the attempted murder of Olive Smelt. So, Birdsell decided to finally write a letter to the police... Telling him what he knew. All oh, no
1: cats can be
4: brown. All <laughs> oh, no cats can be yellow.
3: All oh, no cats can be grey. And I
1: also know my
3: best friends, the Yorkshire Ripper. Remember that when people, when everyone was being mean to everyone in seventh grade, and then a pretty girl would say. They would mouth the words olive juice, but it says, but it seems like they say, I love you, and uh-huh. then you'd be like, oh, That's so nice. And then they would say, Olive juice. I said, Olive juice. I didn't what say, I love you. What psychological torture wow. are you
1: talking about? That never happened to me. That never happened
3: to
4: you? You're pulling from a very specific memory. Seventh grader, her name was Angie. I totally remember it. But <laughs> <Well>, okay. <laughs> and when no one responded to his letter after 24 hours, though, Birdsell had a few drinks and, at the urging of his girlfriend, went to the police and repeated everything. Well, once again, Possibly because he was drunk. Nothing happened. The statement was filed and forgotten. Now at this point, members of British Parliament were trying to get involved.
1: I want to kill a prostitute. (laughs) I want to do it myself. I've been thinking about it for a very long time. And I'm sick of the commoners getting to do it and me not getting to do it.
3: I say we legalize it. Oh, legalize sex work? No, legalize killing sex workers. (laughs) Kill them legalized murder.
4: They even talked about the possibility of Scotland Yard taking over, which would have probably been a good move about three years earlier. Mm. Scotland Yard would have been able to deal with all the fucking paperwork. But what eventually ended Peter Sutcliffe's reign of terror was not the entrance of a hotshot Scotland Yard inspector or some new computational technique or forensics or even a clever sting. Instead, it was nothing more than a routine sweep of a red light district conducted by beat cops it was a fucking accident
1: it reminds me of the Chickatillo, the way that they kind of cornered him and got him that it took so long and eventually it was just straight up just covering every single place that he could go just yeah. b- by like use of force
4: of humans of like bodies on january 2nd mm. 1981 peter calling himself dave picked up a lady of the night in Sheffield at about 10.20pm and parked next to a nearby building. From what the woman, who called herself Sharon, said, Peter tried to get an erection for ten minutes, but was never able to achieve it, and blamed his inability to get hard on his wife's constant nagging.
1: But <laughs> well, she ain't here. Call <laughs> me.
2: Yeah, it
1: won't make it big here, I forgot my penis rope. Uh,
2: oh my get god! Get bigger!
1: Get bigger! That's hard. When you're screaming get bigger, that's not where you huh. Aren't That's you, not where you want to be.
3: Is, I, what are the rules in this situation? Is it like when you you're not supposed to go shopping hungry, right? Yeah. But like shouldn't you be aroused if you're if you're going to try to find a sex worker already? Like why would you go there without I mean I don't know why I'm asking you. I YouTube,
1: mean, I think that you are aroused, but then sometimes the penis doesn't show up. Yeah. Unless you, or if you've been having some delicious Garrison Brothers whiskey, and I do love, I love
3: whiskey. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um, but sometimes what it does is it makes your spirit hard,
2: yeah. <laughs> it makes
3: your penis very soft. I see. It's like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. She meant 10 p.m., <laughs> so maybe the penis just got the uh, got the time wrong. And we know Peter was planning to
4: murder this woman because he was wearing his special serial killer underwear at the time. Oh my god! But before he got the chance. Police boxed in his car and placed both him and his companion under arrest. And this wasn't even necessarily, we're going to arrest everybody when it comes to the Yorkshire Ripper. They're just, we're going to arrest this guy who is obviously in the throes of paid passion.
1: Well, to me, it shows that he, he had lost the edge he uh, had parked like right next to the road and he said that it was weird the way he was parked. He was parked as if he was trying to make a quick getaway instead of someone who was actually trying to hide having sex with a prostitute.
4: Hmm, yep. Interesting. Well, while the officers were escorting Sharon to their car, Peter grabbed all his implements of murder and scurried off to throw them behind an oil storage tank next to the nearest building. When cops asked what the noise was all about, Peter shrugged, And said, he'd been bursting for a pee. And cops shrugged too. Said, all right, let's go down to the station. No, my piss always
1: makes a clattering like a hammer and a knife thrown into <laughs> yeah. an alleyway garbage can. <laughs> it always it always sounds like a cartoon where you throw yes. a baseball of a window and you crash through objects for five minutes. My piss is very strong.
3: Either that man just threw away a bunch of evidence, making him a serial killer, or he's got the worst kidney stones I have ever heard of my entire life.
1: ding 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 ding.
3: But
4: once they arrived at the station, certain things about Sutcliffe started to fall into place. Police saw that Sutcliffe's face almost perfectly matched the photo fit given by Maureen Long. So the cops rightly went back to see what Sutcliffe might have been doing in the moment he disappeared from the officer's sight back at the arrest scene. Almost immediately, the officer found Peter's ball-peen hammer and knife. And with that, the Yorkshire Ripper was finally in police custody over five years after he'd committed his first murder.
3: Yay, but it took too long, but
4: yay! (laughs) (laughs) And none of the the investigative bullshit mattered. None of it. They just nabbed him the old school way. Wow. By him being stupid. That's a great
1: day for a beat cop, man. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Yes, it is. That's how my father got his accolades. He accidentally caught a murderer on a traffic stop.
4: Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And when police went to search Sutcliffe's house the next morning, they found Sonia watching a German TV show. But even when they explained to her that Peter was in quite a bit of trouble, she paid more attention to the TV than to the cops.
1: Sid, they're trying to see how many sausages they can fit inside of a barrel. (laughs) And now they're up to 24. (laughs) This is the best show I've ever seen. What a tremendous waste of sausages. (laughs) Well, I hope
4: somebody eats them. (laughs) Then, of course, a quick search of the house found the hacksaw, screwdrivers that match stab wounds on victims of the riffer, Mm. and the knife missing from the kitchen's butcher block matched the one Peter had tried to hide. And for me, this brings up an interesting question about Sonia. If Peter was taking knives from the kitchen and bringing them back every time he went out, did Sonia ever notice? Or more importantly, If she did notice, did she care?
1: Well, I wasn't using them to kill a prostitute tonight, (laughs) so
4: let him
3: do it. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, apparently she wasn't very good in the kitchen, so maybe she didn't even care about the knives.
4: Actually, in the kitchen, uh, Mick did say that the only thing she could cook, he said that she made uh, these little bowls of spicy things. That what? no one really a knew UK what. It cooking, was. Man. I like it. I like little bowls it's of just spicy peppers.
2: Things. It's, no. They're just
1: fucking peppers. You just go <laughs> to the store and you can buy peppers.
3: Mm, a little bowl of spicy things. That's what
4: I call peppers. But from what one of the officers who searched the Sutcliffe home that day said, while he wouldn't have believed before that any woman could be married to the Ripper and not know it, he was convinced that if anyone could have been oblivious, it was Sonia. She's the type of the person that you could have taken a chair out from underneath
1: her while she was sitting in, and she, she would like still be sitting in no air. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Like she's just being like she's just because they say that if if it's true, if her diagnosis of schizophrenia is true. It's a part of that where things are just kind of a wash, right? Where you have a very difficult time paying attention and absorbing details because your brain is going... (laughs) Like as the main show. The main show is like... You know, you're talking to the salt and pepper shit, and the salt and pepper shit's telling you to kill the president. And right. you're like, Not now. Deborst is on. They got forty seven sausages into this new barrel.
3: I love that. Yeah, she sounds like the uh, the wife of the main character from the original It, who looked into the lights. Mm-hmm. Just catatonic. Oh, interesting. Yeah, beautiful.
4: Uh it didn't take but about two days for Peter Sutcliffe to confess to being the Yorkshire Ripper, and the British public reacted as if the old days of public execution were back, gathering 2,000 strong outside the courthouse during Peter's first hearing.
1: Hang him! They- <laughs> hang him! That's what they,
4: it was kind of crazy. It was old school. It must feel good
1: for a British to be able to do an old-fashioned
3: hang-em mob. Well, they're the best at it. Did they make little t-shirts like we did with Burn Bundy Burn? No, they just no screamed... shirts They just screamed, hang the
4: fucking bastard over and over and over again.
3: Well, again, that's a very long thing.
4: <laughs> now, Sutcliffe pleaded guilty, but not to murder. Instead, Peter pled guilty to manslaughter, because by the time it came to plead, he'd figured that his only defense was insanity, and Peter had suddenly decided that he was schizophrenic. Oh, really? Absolutely. Even though
1: he had near total recall over all of the details of all of his crimes and never once in the beginning talked about God, never talked about it, Sonia, never talked about it to the police, never talked about it to his friends. the This concept of, which I would, you know, as a surface level understanding of Peter Sutcliffe, I'd always known him as a missionary killer who believed in God. But now you're seeing that it straight up was just a fucking ad lib at the very end that became like his calling card for true crime novelists from then
4: on. Hmm he convinced a whole team of doctors that he'd killed sex workers because God had commanded him to do so <sighs> during various paranoid delusions that had started when Sutcliffe was 19. And, and of course, that removes any and all sexual component to his crimes. Yeah, that it was some missionary
1: cleansing thing, even though that obviously it does still fall on the line of you probably are having a sexual gratification for because how many times do priests fucking whip themselves so they come all over a bunch of little boys? That's like what they, they love. They lo- Love that. That's kind of a thing for them. Jesus Christ is screaming on the fucking nails of the cross with his big taunt.
2: Beautiful white
3: body. Jesus Christ, just singing or just screaming. You can take my robe off if you'd like to. Uh, (laughs) You would love to see what the Christ package has in store for
4: you. Um, Yeah, human consciousness really was a mistake, wasn't it? It was. It's an offshoot.
1: It's a mistake, but not a (laughs) bad. It's a mistake in the term that it was. It's neutral, but it just happened. But the sad
3: thing is, you know, these cops. He did this because he knew that the culture. They probably kind of were like, "Well, I see the point. Yeah. I, I see what he was going for. Like, this is really this plays on a much larger thing theme that we talk about regularly." Well,
4: you might be asking how any medical professional could believe there was no sexual component when Sutcliffe was caught wearing a custom-made garment crafted specifically for public masturbation. Mm -hmm. Seems like the whole no-sexual component to this thing, that fucking falls away completely. Yeah, he didn't just want to have a really breezy dick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they didn't take the garment into account because they didn't know about it. Now, I don't know if this is British squeamishness or if things like this happen all the time, everywhere in serial killer cases, but cops kept the garment completely off the record man i would have been fucking that should have been a fucking
1: thing yeah okay like it should have been known and it should have been yorkshire pants and people <laughs> should have been like doing it as a serial killer joke for years and no one knew about it
3: no I one mean, knew i understand them not doing it before the case is solved right because you don't want to give up info, info uh, information on that but at this point dude they never reported it they never filed it they ordered
4: it to be burned they said, burn it. We don't need it. We've got this guy dead to rights.
2: Jeez.
1: Meanwhile, there's somebody in Yorkshire, I guarantee, sitting right now, asshole directly on the chair because they themselves are wearing a pair of Yorkshire pants. <laughs>
4: yeah. Listening to this episode. <laughs> well, nothing wrong with that. But it was saved by a cop named Alan Foster who kept it just in case it ever needed to be tested against unsolved murders or attacks. Or so he said. Maybe he just wanted to keep it. No, Marcus, <laughs> He's I don't think... Smelling it. Yeah, exactly. No, nope. it's smelling it. It's just like, it's a true crime artifact. It's Peter Sutcliffe's fucking serial killer pants. It's this Peter Sutcliffe's Yorkshire pants.
3: This is why you're not a detective, because it's not an <laughs> artifact. It's a piece of evidence. I don't think this guy was starting a museum of serial killers who show their cock <laughs> via sweater.
1: <laughs> because honestly wouldn't you want one for yourself a new one a nice one yeah not, you know what
3: i mean i'm not
4: saying he wore it himself <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, I don't know. i'd fuck me, <laughs> me i
1: tried on once did you get to try on charles manson's jacket
4: no i did not was that at uh, the museum of death in los angeles
3: they got his jacket it must yeah. be very tiny even yeah for i'm you.
4: way too big to be in charles manson's jacket he's uh, what five three he's a something. i think I, almost a foot shorter than i am damn
3: wow yeah, he's very tiny.
4: Yeah, five two, five three. He'd even be it'd even be too small for you, Henry. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know we can't even. You know, <laughs> well, the information about Peter Sutcliffe's Yorkshire pajamas might have been lost forever had author Michael Bilton not discovered it upon interviewing Alan Foster for the book Wicked Beyond Belief. Which it this really makes me wonder just how many details about serial killers have been kept from us mm. how many details did cops come across that they just like nah no one needs to know about that
1: yeah like how many tapes did Jeffrey Dahmer have in his home just, of just like filled with Seinfeld <laughs> <laughs> it's the little things that build a, a, a person's personality for you right because this, this shows just how much work Peter Sutcliffe put into the this part of the masturbation Ceremony, Yeah. And that he needed, right. he couldn't even fucking spend the time opening up his pants and like pulling his underwear aside. His dick needed to be out. But for some reason, he needed something covering his butt.
3: Well, I, he's not, he's not plugging it because he's
4: going to get cold. Well, the whole thing, I, but I also don't understand. Well, it, that's the thing. you got to have the knee pads, though. The knee pads
3: are an, an essential part of this.
1: Absolutely.
3: I'm just not having this guy come over to lay carpet in my house. That's all
4: I'm saying.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but while Sutcliffe was
4: able to fool a fair amount of medical doctors with his schizophrenia claims, he wasn't able to fool a jury, and Peter Sutcliffe was given 20 life sentences. Good. Now, he did end up in Broadmoor Hospital for a short period of time with, uh, I mean, a lot of serial killers ended up in uh, Broadmoor Prison, and also uh, June and Jennifer Gibbons, the silent twins, who we hope to cover in the future. Cool. They were also there at the same time as Peter Sutcliffe.
3: It's a real who's who, huh?
4: (laughs) (laughs) But eventually, Peter Sutcliffe was transferred to Franklin Prison, where he remains to this day. As far as Sonia Sutcliffe goes, she still lives at number six Garden Lane and only stopped visiting Peter in 2015 after the man she married in 1997 supposedly told her it's either Peter or it's me. It only took him 18
1: years, huh, <laughs> to come up with that? It took 18 years, and she used to visit all the time, but now the son is lamenting about how she won't answer his Christmas cards.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So he's still around,
4: huh? Dude, not only is he still around, like, we still know what Peter Sutcliffe's thoughts are. To this day, Peter's thoughts are still the subject of
3: British tabloids,
4: and at least two stories a year are devoted to the Yorkshire Ripper as if he's just another celebrity from England's past.
3: I thought you were gonna say he has a podcast, and I'm like, we cannot deal <laughs> with all this competition all the time. We're gonna bring it to the network. Yeah. He
1: but he he was complaining that the COVID nineteen restrictions were too much and he couldn't get his soda. Yep. He from needs the the soda for he
3: needs his I wonder what he drinks. He
4: couldn't go to the canteen. I would imagine, I mean, a Yorkshireman. oh, that fucker drinks or, Iron, he drinks Iron Brew, yeah. Well, in fact, just four days ago, according to The Sun, Peter Sutcliffe signed a do not resuscitate order in the eventuality that he contracts the coronavirus. I guess that's, I, yeah, would they resuscitate him? I think,
2: <laughs> isn't that a little
1: bit presumptuous of him? And apparently, one thing that has not aged well, one thing that has not aged well, say Peter Sutcliffe. Still doing the Macarena. (laughs) Oh, my
4: God. That's pathetic. But No matter what kills Peter Sutcliffe, he's still going to die in prison. And here's to hoping that the Yorkshire pajamas get spread far and wide before that happens. I really hope he finds Damn. out that everyone knows about his stupid fucking underwear. Send us a picture of you in your
1: Yorkshire pants and we'll <laughs> put it up on Twitter.
3: <laughs> we can't you cannot legally Oh no, you could put that on Twitter. You can put that. They allow Twitter, Twitter. Twitter. dings yeah. and dongs on there.
4: Um, I don't know why. I... Don't be, email us, but because I don't want the people who check our email to have to look at your fucking Yorkshire pudding. It's me.
1: No, no. I'm checking the email on the side
3: stories. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I will. I'll look at it. All right, send it to side stories then. Don't send it to <laughs> side stories. How did we even get here? Um, I almost. It's weird. I, I don't feel like justice was served. I know that he was arrested. I know, but the fact he's still alive just living in prison, bitching about not being able to go to the canteen. He He's getting it too, he's, I don't know. I just he's, feel like his life is too good. He's got it pretty easy.
1: Yeah. I think that he, uh, I think he killed, ten, because of the police, he killed 10 more people than he would have killed.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, either way, it's great. There's Peter Sutcliffe, uh the Yorkshire Ripper. There it was. I, honestly, that was a great story. Great job, guys. Thank very you. Very interesting. This serial killer, we we talk about like, uh, what could we discover next? But this actually had a lot of ins and outs. It really Extremely did. Extremely unique.
4: It's a very unique case, yeah. Very, very unique. Very unique to the UK as well. All right. Yes,
1: and, and shouldn't you be proud, UK listeners? You got one. <laughs> <guys, laughs> we, we, this is a big old heavy hitter. We're going straight into weird shit next week. Then we're going to be doing a little bit of a break. But then the summer of strange Yay!
3: begins.
1: Love I this. Su- a lot of UFO, a lot of weird bullshit. Very, very excited, very unique topics coming
3: yeah. down the pipe. I love it. Summer of strange is soon to be upon us. Also, uh, if you want to kill two hours, speaking of mirror we got our live show out. So you can go to last You can buy the show for $6 and 66 cents and enjoy it. I hope, uh, you know, we worked really hard on, on crafting the best, funniest dumbest possible show we could uh, I think
1: this is the better than the last one oh yeah. definitely I think it's better than the last one it's it's definitely looser and it's definitely it's a it's a big old work and you know it's our methadone for us not being on the road right yeah so it's yeah. like I'm watching the old thing and remembering how much fun we had in the road last year and it's not the same and it's not like I get angry or I like start to feel like I'm gonna flip out I pull it back, and I know that eventually we'll be able to go on the road again. I'm just
3: happy that Puffin can't talk. Um, The the thing is, with this live show, we had a situation where my belly was showing the first half of the show that we had to edit out. (laughs) So you might see a camera cut or two where you're like, why are they just showing Ben's nose? (laughs) Because when you film me from below... There's a lot of stuff going on down there. Yep. So you'll notice some of that.
4: Yeah. It was when I was uh, editing the episode last week, and Henry made
2: the <laughs> that
4: noise <laughs> that made me really misperform in live with you guys. So I, you know, because it was this noise that Henry made during the live show so many times last year. We're really, but, but we're we'll get back to it soon, and we you know, must. we uh, we really love doing this live show um, that's oh, uh, so featured fun. on this special. We really yes. love doing it all over the world last year. Oh, uh, such a so choice. if you if you were able to come out and see us. Uh, Uh, sometime last year and you want to kind of relive that, relive that show. That's uh, that's the one that we uh, recorded, so go on and check it out. $6.66, lastpodcastlive.com.
3: Yes, absolutely. And, of course, pick up the book. Thank you all so much. Uh, Marcus mentioned it during this episode. But we are two weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. We were number three, and now we're number 13. Uh, both lucky numbers for us because there's three of us, and then 13. It's got a fun history.
2: So, so That is good. Isn't what,
3: that fun?
4: What's really fun is we got knocked down by yet another Kennedy book.
2: Oh my god. Why did you guys
1: start <laughs> that? Lord, you guys dude. started I just, it. It's so. just so
3: much Kennedy <laughs> shit, dude. It's just so much. Um, awesome, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Ogin. Magoostalations. Hail me, you bitch. Yuck. That's right. Be Yuck. careful. If your husband's going out after midnight taking knives, at the very least, follow him. Yeah, And make sure that you remember that song
1: Let me smell your <laughs> <laughs> This show is made possible by listeners like you Thanks to our ad sponsors You can support our shows by supporting them For more shows like the one you just listened to Go to lastpodcastnetwork.com